Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We are recording live from an event in Houston, Texas, Dynamic Communities Summit. And it is fantastic to be here with about 2,500 Microsoft applications professionals from all over the country. And, of course, our good friend, Wade Satan, who's now finishing up his third year as a monthly guest on Cloud Wars Live. Wayne, it's great to have you. Hey, it's great to be here, and it's great to actually meet you in person. This is terrific. Fantastic. We've been doing this for almost 36 months, yeah. and we've never actually met. And here we are in the flesh in, in Texas, where yeah. I happen to live. So yeah. it's great to be here. I want to tell you just quickly that I was looking at this show before I ever knew that Cloud Wars was going to be part of Dynamic Communities. Okay. I'm a Dynamics fan. I have clients using Dynamics, and vendors of mine are here. And I'm just dying to get on the show floor. And now that I'm part of the organization and an yeah. analyst, it's even better yeah. because I think I'll get better access to things and have fun people to talk to. Uh, Wayne, that's that's great. It, it has come together beautifully. And as you said, you know, uh, Cloudwars is now part of Dynamic Communities, which does terrific events. They do uh, great content. We're building out the analyst network, which you're going to be such a key part. So lots of things going on. And I think it's, you know, we, we sort of had to crank things up here. There's so much going on in the world. So many good things happening, challenging things happening. So it's a thrill for Cloudwars to be able to have this broader base and give uh, very, very bright folks like you the ability to have a bigger, broader platform and your experience as a CIO, a CEO, a CTO. And now the way you get to engage with boards of directors and CEOs about really fusing their overall business strategy with their digital strategy to, to meet the needs of a, a very different future. Well, yes, I've done a lot of different things. And I, what are you saying? I can't hold a job, uh, but I've done a lot of things and I get bored real easily. And it's fantastic for me to be working as an analyst with this group. First of all, the analysts are so different and so bright that they ask questions that I never thought to ask and answer them in ways I would never have asked. So I think that's great. And then I love the Microsoft community. I've been a Microsoft user for decades back when DOS was the answer. Uh, the first release of Windows, I was in Dallas when InnoVision came out, the first Windows app. And so I've kind of grown up with Microsoft as the platform. And now it's much more of a platform for not only what runs on our PC, but what runs our industry, what runs yeah. our company. Yeah. Which, so, Wayne, uh, one of the things that you've been doing now with uh, the acceleration economy, where you're one of the, the, the key analysts there, you wrote a terrific piece in the Acceleration Economy Journal, and I wonder if you just want to talk about that, because for either somebody who knows only a little about Microsoft and wants to learn more, somebody who knows a lot about Microsoft but still wants to understand more, I think it was really insightful and gave a great direction, not only uh, to show that how the past has helped build Microsoft's future, but where it's going and the value that it can bring to businesses. Sure, let's talk about that since we're sitting at the show that yeah. talks about that very thing. First of all, it's tech from the top down is the column, and it's in the journal, which it's a free paywall. So if people don't know that, I, I had to learn it. You have to register, but you don't have to pay, and then you can read that content. So please, not only my stuff, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. And so this issue was about Microsoft and getting ready for the show. And I think it's vital that the CEO, the board member, they say, why do we care about what vendor we pick for PCs? Well, why do they even care what vendor we pick for ERP? If I'm going to pick, you know, there's Oracle, there's SAP, there's Microsoft, there's many vertical solutions, but why would I care which one we pick? And I actually think for a board or a C-suite executive and not technical, you do care. And here's why. 
Microsoft combines at ERP suite, a number of them that funnel into something called Dynamics 365, which comes in a small and a large flavor and many, many optional modules. So Oracle does that, SAP does that, no big deal. Microsoft also has the best-selling Office suite in the world, Office 365, now branded as Windows 365, Microsoft 365, and it provides all the desktop services in the cloud and on your desktop and on your mobile device. So if you've got ERP for Microsoft and you've got uh, Microsoft 365, they fit together. And all of a sudden, you can deliver this ERP stuff out to your far-flung teams and integrate it with other products they're using every single day. So there's a very seamless integration. The same security model applies. The same distribution model applies. Who can get to what can be baked in once and not multiple times? And the third part of it then is they have an infrastructure. The Dynamics 365 is built on the Azure infrastructure. And more specifically, there are layers to infrastructures. We've talked about that several times. The bottom layer is the Azure servers, the gazillion servers running in data centers all over the world. But on top of that, Microsoft puts databases, some that are similar to what we run at the office. Some are relatively new cloud databases. And Microsoft puts Dynamics 365 on the Cosmos database. And somebody asked me the other day, well, what does that mean? So in the past, we had a database for transactions. This is really good at high volume, high security, high integrity, writing records. It's not so good for analytics. I want to do a 15 dimensional cube and rotate it about my sales, by shoe size, by day of the week, by weather pattern. And by the way, if an analyst tries to run that query against the transactional database, everybody posting general ledger transactions gets to go home for the day. We call not that a good cold. thing, right? No, not well, good if you don't want, don't want the overtime. I literally was at a shop on a Friday night and it's like six o'clock Friday night. And I'm working with one of the executives and somebody comes screaming into the CFO's office. We can't post. And we looked around and there was a DBA in the corner and he was running a report that he always runs. But accounting was staying late that night. And so there were 200 people posting. He didn't know they were posting. They didn't know he ran that report at seven o'clock every Friday. And we had to shut him down to get them going. So what the solution typically is, I have a production database and I have a reporting database. And I refresh it once a day, once a week, twice a day. So there's a big period of time when I have two different data sources. So I'll run the report off this database and you run the report off of that database and guess what? We get into an argument in the CEO's office over whose numbers are right. Yeah, yeah. and you have all those things running under those databases that support them, that build them, the people that run them. And, uh, you know, Wayne, nobody has time today, right, to have those arguments about whose data is right. You've got to move because the customer is right. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the data that has to be tracked. Yeah, I should tell you that, tell the audience, yesterday I was in downtown Dallas. Um, I belong to a group called the NACD, National Association of Corporate Directors. And we had our first in-person meeting in like 19 months. And AT&T's chief data officer gave a presentation. And one of the things he talked about was data stewardship versus data ownership. If you're an executive in a company, whether you're AT&T size or a startup, it is not your data in your department. If you generated the sales data, you don't get to keep it. You are the custodian of that data for the company. And so, especially in IT, we have to get away from thinking, it's our data. I own the database. I'm the DBA. No, we all own the data. So how do we do what he called democratizing our data? 
And so Microsoft has really done a great job with the D365 architecture. And it's not all there yet, but it's moving there. So it's the same database that writes high volume, high security transactions is also able to be used for analytics without bogging the system. Yeah. And so if you're a CEO, you go, I don't care what database they pick, but how about do you care that your data is in one place, that your data is secure, and that people can run whatever report they need to off data that's as current as you need it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wayne, I, you know, I, I want to mention one thing too. This is something from, uh, I don't know, six, eight months ago, but a, an earnings call. I think the point you're getting at here really reflects yeah, is uh, there are still some tech vendors, their world is sort of built around uh, their technology inside out, right? If they could just get their customers to reorient their businesses around the technology that this vendor is selling, then they think everything's right. When actually, I think the more enlightened tech vendors are saying, no, 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 we've got to have adapt what we have to the way customers are using things. So at this earnings call several months ago, this one financial analyst kept bearing down on Sachin Nadella and trying to say, yeah, but given how much all this stuff is growing, you're talking about the Dynamics 365 growth number should be higher. And finally, Nadella said, you're looking at this too narrowly. You're looking at it from the point of view of a business application, Dynamics 365, but the customers look at it from there's Dynamics 365 and there's Teams and there's Power Platform. There's Azure, there's mixed reality, and all those things come together. He said they look at it from the point of view of the business process. So this inside out old way and outside in the new way, how do the customers look at things? And I think, Wayne, one of the things that your article pointed out is when you get all those different pieces from Microsoft together, then the customer is able to sort of combine those in the ways they want and need. They have more choice, more alternative, and being able then to get that data moving in the right ways so you eliminate all those nightmares that you talked about a moment ago. I just think that's the way forward in this crazy hyper speed, you know, high volume world we're in today. Well, what you're saying makes a lot of sense and it should make sense for business executives. They don't want to buy a vendor's product. They want to buy a process solution. And as we've said before, IT is able to see like finance, we can see across the silos. Here's where we make the product. Here's where we ship the product. Here's where we get paid for the product. Here's where we support the product. And there may be any number of vertical solutions that plug into that. We've talked about the verticalization yeah. of ERP and CRM. And so as we move in that world, having a product that allows us to integrate a vertical solution like Microsoft can do. And I want to be fair, other ERP vendors are moving in that direction sure. with APIs, with buses and all this technical mumbo jumbo. But I think Microsoft has probably gone further than most at being able to say, here's our database and here's the published schema. If you're a CEO, you don't know what a published schema is. I'm sorry. They took the definition of the database that other people can use to add on and put it in a place where everybody can read it and they promise it's right. Yeah, it's the open source community and a product Microsoft spent 26 billion, I think, on GitHub. Yeah. So they've published it. Now, if you're a Microsoft competitor, you get to see all the data structures, which means you can build a product that fits seamlessly into the Microsoft world without kind of Microsoft's permission ahead of time. They've said, here's the data. If you're a company that builds stuff, build with this. If you're a company that sells stuff, build something you can sell with this. So if you're looking at the Microsoft revenue versus the influence over a customer, 
where will the third party products go? Yeah. They're part of my IT budget or part of the business budget, but they're not money going directly into Microsoft's coffers. They're going to the independent software yeah. vendors that augment and other people who sell plugins through the Microsoft store or, or independently. Yeah. So while we're talking about vendors, maybe I should let you do your sponsor. Wayne, that sounds great. Let's take a moment here. Just a, a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A-game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets and where automation is paramount yet effortless, when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. Wayne, that ecosystem point that you made is so true. And I think that um, I think one of the reasons Microsoft is number one on the Cloud Wars top 10 has been so for almost three years. And it's really going to take a, a monumental effort by anybody else to knock them off that spot. It's the technology, it's the customer point of view. And I think their go to market capabilities and strategies have been so strong. They haven't attempted to squeeze out a lot of partners here. In fact, they've encouraged them. They've been upfront about that. And I also love the way that one of the things they do is there's this, this, as you get into more of those vertical industry capabilities, Microsoft can't do everything. The partners can't do everything. But together, there's this co-creation that happens between Microsoft and some of its partners. And the co-creation then between partners and customers, or Microsoft and the customer, or all three of them. I just think that's going to be a, such a big part of the new world. Uh, and it's very exciting. Absolutely. I think Microsoft recognizes, as a good user of IT themselves, that there's something called shadow IT. And it's one of my soapboxes. If you've watched the videos, you've heard me say yeah. it. If you're a CEO, be very worried about shadow IT. Now, your CIO will come tell you one thing. Shadow IT is bad. You should make it go away. But the CIO is wrong Shadow IT is a response to you, the CEO, maybe the board, misusing the way you allocate IT funding. You're treating it as though there's a pile of money given to the CIO over here, and any innovation the business wants to do has to be funneled through that pile. If I'm a strategic business executive and I've got a hundred million dollar, a billion dollar, or whatever budget, I don't wait my turn if I'm 29th on the IT master list. I, I may have, by the way, Back in the mainframe day, I had no choice. I couldn't buy my own mainframe without the company knowing it. The CFO kind of found out when I built the data center, even back then. But now I can get a credit card out or a purchase order and go to one of the cloud vendors and put a SaaS solution. So if you look at Microsoft's solution, it's quite brilliant. They've got the Power Platform, Power BI, very inexpensive but very powerful analytics tool. They've got Power Apps and Power Automate, used to be Flow, and now an RPA solution, a chatbot solution, etc. So I can take an end user who knows something about Excel macros, let's say, and give them a better tool. And they can write stuff. But because it lives in the ecosystem that I, the CIO, have built, the data model is mine. They can't create an Excel spreadsheet or shouldn't create an Excel spreadsheet over here with their own data model. They got corporate data. They're allowed to use it because otherwise they can't see it. And everything they write, maybe it's just for them, just for their office mates, just for their department, is still stored in the central catalog. Yeah. What happens in shadow IT is some brilliant business person writes this about 5,000 line Excel macro and leaves or goes off on FMLA. And then they call the CIO and go, we got to close the books tomorrow. Did you figure that out? And oftentimes the answer is, I'll try here. 
at least I know where it is. I know that you follow the data rules. I know that you follow the security rules. And to your point about co-creation, once you've built this with the tools, I can get a professional developer to add maybe a prettier screen and some more controls and flexibility customization. Maybe I have a product I can sell. Because what stops me as a company, an end user company, from going to the Microsoft App Store and making the product available or partnering with my ISV, my independent software vendor, and build a, a product that we've customized together for our vertical industry. Yeah. And Wayne, I think that's beauty. You know, you, you've mentioned this before, but suddenly, you know, IT organizations, developer organizations, they, they intellectually, they've long since moved out of the cost center basis, but they actually turn the corner and become revenue generators for the company, right? And I think symbolically in the company, that's so powerful because it shows this is, we're, we're not doing what we did five years ago a little bit better. We're doing a whole new different set of wild things coming forward. Don't be constrained by the traditions of the past. Take the best things of the past, but blast those into a very different sort of future. So uh, I, I just think that's so important on, on a number of fronts. And again, you know, Microsoft, like any company, is not perfect, but they are pushing, I think, all these new areas as aggressively as possible, but they're doing it often in concert with their partners, with their customers. And uh, I, I, I just find that their overall approach to the market right now uh, is brings to life some things that their CEO says, like, you know, our customer success is our purpose. You don't often hear tech industry CEOs speak in that language, but I think he's really made it come true in some cases. They've got a lot of more, more work to do, like everybody does, Wayne, but I do like the direction they're taking technologically, how they go to market, and I think in their sense of, you know, we are putting the customers at the center of what we're doing. That's, that's a, a model that every business and every industry should really take to heart. And every company will tell you they do that, yeah. clearly, right? That's It's engraved over the door. But the question is, are they building a business model that supports yeah. that? You know, Microsoft's business model has traditionally been uh, indirect channel. A lot of companies will come to you and say, we do it all. We are the experts in our software. So we'll run the data center for you. We'll put it in for you. Yeah, there are partners to do it, but we like to control and a lot of us as CIOs complain, I really wish Microsoft had a Microsoft person instead of some vendor. But at the end of the day, I have a lot more flexibility. So they've got this combination of a Microsoft person I can find if I have to. And I've been to Redmond many times for the Microsoft shows to meet those people. But I can also go to a show like this and meet with my ISV. I've got ISVs here that I've worked with for three years and never met because things just didn't work out, then a pandemic hit, now I'm going to go talk to them this afternoon. But it's terrific that Microsoft's model allows them to be flexible. They can build a solution that works for the majority of companies, a horizontal solution, accounts payable, inventory, project scheduling, and then I can customize it for construction or manufacturing or professional services with a third party. And, you know, Microsoft could come and sweep up all of those bars. They could buy them all, right? And say, well, we now have every product in the world. In fact, I'm wearing this shirt, I should mention. This is my Treasury Services shirt. In 1997, Treasury Services supplied the banking vertical with software. I was a bank CIO. I spoke at their equivalent of this conference. And before the shirt went to the dry cleaner the first time, Oracle bought it. Now, kudos to Oracle. They were moving into the verticalization, into the banking industry, which you know they're very strong in to this day. But 
vendors even then, I want to make a point, vendors even then realized vertical was the answer. And Oracle got it, IBM got it, Microsoft gets it. Some of the other vendors that were more product focused kind of looked at their product from the wrong end of the telescope. Yeah. Instead of seeing from the small end of what the customers are doing, it was, here's our product, like it. And Microsoft is pretty unique in that they've got a wide variety of modern technology an indirect channel and still have customer support and service at the enterprise level. Yeah, yeah. Wayne, I, I love what you in your anecdote there about the story, Treasury Services Corporation from 25 years ago. And it's a quarter century ago, and it was uh, less than a month ago that on Oracle's most recent earnings call, their founder and chairman, Larry Ellison, was talking about, he said, the cloud is going to unleash this wave of new B2B financial services capabilities and products in the cloud that he said Oracle is going to build not just by itself at Oracle, but in concert with our banking partners. And this is new language from Oracle. I think it reflects a, a big booming idea going across the industry, right? If it's true that we often hear and we're often told that since March of 2020, everything changed every part of business changes. So why would we believe that the solutions and tools that got us to March 2020 would be sufficient to go into this entirely different sort of future? And that's why I think that in uh, fourth quarter this year and into 2022, I think these industry clouds, industry specific solutions, I think that's gonna be the single hottest part of the whole IT business overall. I think it's got to be, you know, we've talked about this 80% of a business is generic processes. 10% is industry, usually regulatory or specific accounting, you know, percentage of completion accounting and construction, some of the banking regulations, HIPAA in healthcare. And the last 10% is fireside chats, folklore, and how, how we do it around here. Yeah. But as we've said, it's not 80% work, 10% work, 10% work. It's a third to implement the core stuff. People don't argue too much about how we're going to do that AP process in, in discrete detail. It's then a third on that 10% of our industry, which is the HIPAA and whatever we've got to do. And that's where the industry vendors really come in. And I've always said the last third of my time as a CIO or implementation partner is talking the company out of doing all the weird stuff that makes them so weird. The 10%, it's a lot about why are we doing it this way? As, as I started doing this, I learned about Chesterton's fence, which we've talked about. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, the British author, said, if you come across, if you're on a road and you come across a fence in the middle of the road, don't just tear it down. It didn't grow like a weed. Somebody put it there. They spent time and money and energy. And so I say to CEOs, boards, and my customers, ask yourself, why did we do it that way? Maybe because we were small and private. Maybe because we were in this geography and now we're in that. Maybe because the regs were different. Maybe because Billy Bob said, I need that report done backwards. I want the totals at the top, which is how the company I used to work for described unreasonable reports. And, and so ask yourself why, and then spend that effort not doing it differently. Ask yourself what differentiates. And by the way, with the Microsoft tools, I can build, I can buy the core. I can then build the industry stuff with a partner or from a, get it from a partner, and then tweak it with the power platform tools and the Cosmos and the GitHub and all this geeky stuff. And that builds me a platform that, by the way, we can maintain. Because another concept that I talk about a lot is technical debt. If you have to customize or hire a company to customize the heck out of your ERP, 
especially in the SaaS world, you're getting eight releases a year. Somebody's got to touch that and test it eight times a year. The more custom code you put in, the more that becomes your problem. And if you hire a big expensive firm, the more that becomes their recurring revenue stream. They love this model. If you don't need a new ERP eight times a year, maybe go with an on-prem product, put it in the cloud, run Oracle or SAP's old stuff, or Microsoft's AX, and yeah. modify it at your own pace. And Wayne, you know, what you're saying there makes perfect sense, but it's, it's on top of that cost that you've got those weeks and weeks and months and months every time you're going to do that, and nobody has that time to burn, right? You've got to get things done uh, more quickly, more thoughtfully, with more of a focus on the outside world rather than, you know, what we're doing inside our IT factories. So, yeah, those just sound like some practices uh, all of us need to behind us well let's talk for just i know we're, we're running out of time and the, when the audience comes out of the next conference nobody's going to hear us it'll be fun but nobody will hear us when you put in and i'm not picking on sap or oracle an old traditional erp you hired a consultant they went and documented all your business processes then they put in the test the installation verification system the ibs or ibp and you tested it out that it did what it was supposed to and then you customize it. They came back a year later and said, did we get it right? So I'll tell you how Microsoft and other vendors now put software in. They start with a discussion of how you're doing it today. That's part of the sales process. Tell me what you do and we'll maybe record it or we'll have somebody take a notes. And then we'll build you a custom demo. Why can I build a custom demo? Because with the power platform and the configuration, I can build a somewhat tailored demo in a week or two with one sales engineer. And then I show it to people and I get their feedback. And then we talk a little bit more. We dig maybe a level deeper into your processes. What do you want the process to be? What do we know, the ISV partner or the vendor, about doing this because we've done it a gazillion times? And then we do a demo. Let me show you what accounts payable looks like, accounts receivable, project, whatever it may be. And your users come into a room and go, I like that. Oh, I really hate that. Change that. And then you come and you do another sprint. So take three week, four weeks, six week sprints. There is at no point a big bang in yeah. the user's mind. They are seeing successive improvement as we iterate through the agile sprints or call it what you like. The Microsoft, no surprises. Right. So the people in the business that are going to use it, hopefully your thought leaders, your opinion leaders, your forward thinkers, and maybe a few people that you wish would just get into the 21st century, get to see this thing five, six, eight, 10, 12 times. And then you do your conference from pilot, you do your, your, your release to production, your POC, and now we go live and nobody is shocked for the power. You know, there's always somebody in the field that's never seen it, it's on their phone, they're gonna report their time or scan a package. Huh, how does that work? I don't know. But the power users, the ones that are gonna sit in front of that screen all day and use it to enter transactions, do analytics, look at dashboards, they've already seen it 20 times. And if everything isn't done the way they want, they're captured in a future log, or they agree we're gonna build it ourselves in Power Platform. Yeah, That's the beauty of building this now. You can actually do what's done in startups, right? We keep iterating until we get to the MVP. Yeah. If you're gonna to go to a, a venture capitalist, it's what's the minimum viable product? I can build the minimum viable ERP or CRM. Yeah. And when it's ready, start using it. Yeah. There is no flash cut, big bang, blah, blah, blah. You got to move the data once. I don't want to minimize that. But people are seeing the user interface, the screens, the workflow and the process. 
and tweaking it as they go. And that's a significant change. Maybe not in the time, maybe not even in the cost, but it's a big change in user adoption. Yeah. And the value that comes out of that and not the need to do it again in six weeks or so on. And Wayne, I think, you know, in addition to that thing we talked about, there's no surprise in that the other side of it is those people that help build that along the way they are the, the expert users. Now they take some ownership of it, right? It's their system. They have voted. So it's going to break down those, I think, those terribly uh, counterproductive walls between IT, the, you know, the old thing, I'm IT, I'm the business. It's all one thing. And faster companies can get to that, master that, really have that be the way you, you know, soar into the future, the better off they're going to be. Absolutely. So one of the best practices for doing this is go find your thought leaders within your company, not, not a bunch of experts. I mean, I'm an expert. People pay me to tell them stuff. You need maybe somebody like me in the room. I described it one, just as an aside. I worked with one company doing an ERP that was really a process transformation multiple acquisitions, multiple business lines, multiple geographies, multiple, this is how we do it around here, down to multiple pieces of paper they use. And so they put a PMO that managed the budget and the project thing and kept the vendors honest and got the bills paid. And then there were a group of user experts that I found in the company and we nominated them as full-time on the project. They were from the field. They were not from headquarters. They were not from IT. Right. They were the field reps. And so people said, so what's your job in this project? And I told the board, my job is to keep the lemmings from running over the cliff. I wasn't there to build the system. I wasn't there to run the PMO. I was there to talk to the board. I was there to talk to the business people. I was there to talk to the vendors, to Microsoft, to the business folks in the company and give them the benefit of the gray hair and some advice. Yeah. And so I'm talking to CEOs and board members doing an ERP, iterate, involve the field. It's not about IT. It's not about you as the CEO. I tell CEOs, if you design the system, we will just know really carefully why you went out of business because the people in the field hated the system. So build it that way. Field yeah. first, core later, and yeah. iterate and get somebody who can keep the lemmings from running over the cliff. Otherwise, vendors have a way of running away with you and your money. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you see, folks, very clearly, Wayne has earned every one of those gray hairs. I don't know that I have. I've skated along, but he's really earned them. And Wayne, it was fantastic. I want to shake your hand again. It's so yep. good to be with you in person here today. I agree. I got to tell everybody, I was yeah. going to do this at the beginning. They handed out these things at the conference. Red means stay away. No contact. Yellow means elbows only. There's a green one that says it's okay to shake my hand. But when I got here at 9 o'clock the morning of the second day, they were out of green wristbands. Yeah. This is Texas after all, yeah. and we are comfortable and we are vaccinated. So yeah. I'm happy to be among all these people. And when the show floor opens, I'm going to wander around in throngs. Yeah. I got my swag bag ready. Good, good deal. Well, it, it has been great, folks, really being around other human beings. The uh, virtual world is terrific. There's a lot of futures for it. Wow, it sure is nice to blend out with being in person. I've really enjoyed it, Wayne, with you being in person here today. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us. I hope you can get to an event sometime. And uh, if you're in the mood, grab one of those green wrists too. That'll be terrific. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.